Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit. Adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future. Winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. Everybody, Nick Henderson. T.O., and we'll get there. Number 81, Navy football, 2009, class of 2010, just like myself, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wide receiver there with uh, Navy football in his time. Uh, And he had a little brother that was a defensive lineman for a few years. He was a a couple classes behind us. Uh, Nick was a Navy NFO, Uh, did his time, transitioned. Uh, to Russell Reynolds as a consultant and did and is currently doing six years there. Um, and that's something to note because it's a long time nowadays. A lot of people will transition and they'll do like a year, two years, three years, whatever, hop and be like, oh, I don't like this or whatever. So uh, that'll be a cool part of your story is as to why you're still what you're doing what you're doing for six total years because um, it's kind of rare. Um, Russell Reynolds is a uh, executive search firm for healthcare and sports. Um, nonprofits, um, you're involved with a few. One that you um, are, are probably highly engaged in is At Last. Um, on a steering committee there for kids, not in the optimal living conditions, um, you know, with academic and developmental, they need support, and that's what that that nonprofit does. Uh, dabbling in real estate, um, doing some recreational sports, golfing. Uh, talked to Jordo recently. Jordo's uh, golfing as well. Um, I don't have the patience <laughs> patience for that, but maybe one day we can go golfing again. Uh, and currently, where you're sitting at your uh, your rooftop is in Dallas, kind of close to downtown Dallas, Texas. Everybody, um, I worked there for a little bit. Not a bad area, so. Um, that's my intro for, for Nick Henderson. Did I get it right? No, you got it perfect, man. And I know I'm in Texas and I talked a lot of trash back in the day to all my Texas teammates. So full circle, I'm, I'm here now. I've got a home, married a Texas girl and probably going to be here for a while. So I guess I bit that bullet. <laughs> nice. And you got one, uh, you got a, a baby in the oven, right? Any day now. A baby in the oven. My wife is about 38 and a half weeks pregnant. So she's, before I came up here, she's talking about cramping and contractions. So if I run away for a quick second, that's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm excited, as you know, but <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Man, committed. Awesome. All right. So here we go. Memory section. Quite a few memories. Um, I actually forgot to ask people about this only a couple days ago. I was like, Hey, I forgot about memories, uh, for, for Nick guys, sent them to me and they came pouring in, uh, Milky and Lennar, um, talking about, <laughs> yeah. Um, they both questioned to see if you, are, are you sure that you're from Pittsburgh? Like they never saw you wearing PJ pants or any kind of Steelers jerseys or anything like that. I mean, yeah, so born and raised in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, you know, and I I came in the same class. You guys all know Matthews. He's a true Pittsburgh guy. So I feel like I was a little fake in that sense being in the suburbs. So, you know, it wasn't really beneficial for me to advertise it too much, but I'm still a Steelers fan to this day. Ironically, as a little kid, I was a Cowboys fan. So I ended up in Dallas, but that was back with Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith. So, you know, I think I was just washed up by that, but – yeah, believe it or not, North Allegheny High School. Mick just reached out to me the other day. He's trying to recruit some guys from my high school, so you know, it was just being a tool to them to just talk to him about the academy and stuff. But uh, I still claim it and get back from time to time. Nice, uh, Curtis also mentioned that you you grew up a Cowboys fan. So yeah, you just said that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Curtis loved that because uh, he was one of the guys I always gave a hard time to about uh, Texas and. 
all that stuff. But I mean, the 95, I think it was 95, the Super Bowl when the Cowboys played the Steelers. I know my parents threw a Super Bowl party and I was probably, you know, maybe eight, nine, ten years old at the time. And I was fully decked out. Emmett Smith was my absolute hero. You know, it was probably the last time the Cowboys were a relevant team. So, you know, at least I was on a good time there. But as I got older and I called myself more mature, I shifted back to my Steelers ways. And now, you know, Cowboys and Steelers are laughable to say the least. So we'll see how that evolves over time and what my son coming into this world, which way he's going to fall. <laughs> so which way do you go? You go Cowboys or Steelers nowadays? I mean, you're living in oh, Dallas. No, no, I, so. I'm still all Steelers, man. These Cowboy fans, the one thing I learned, oh, I, I just, yeah, I can't can't get behind the Cowboys. Man. Every <laughs> September, you know, they're Super Bowl, we're winning, we got the best team. It's like, so, come on, guys, you, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to where you're, where you're at today, but at the same time, like you're in Dallas. How are those Cowboys games in that, in that stadium? It's okay, nice stadium. so I will give them credit. Um, the Cowboys games are fun to go to. I mean, I caught myself, Michael Irvin does like the hype show before every game. And like when I watched that, I was, I was legit a Cowboys fan for about 30 seconds until like the adrenaline fell off. And then I realized like, okay, get it together, get it together. But Jerry Jones, he does a good job, man. I mean, that's an entertaining environment. The stadium's awesome. Everyone's pumped. So I'll give the Cowboys that piece of it. Yeah. Um, what I've learned is big money makes money. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jerry Jones <laughs> oh, yeah. knows how to do that, right? He doesn't know football, but he knows money. So I'll <laughs> give him that. <laughs> nice. All right. <clears throat> Corey Finnerty, Findog. He said uh, he visited you in Hawaii uh, with this 22nd uh, company roommate, Jameson. Uh, and so you had a great trip, and he woke up on a park bench the next morning. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, we'll get into it later, but when I left uh, Navy, I was I think I was the only one that went aviation. Corey was supposed to and switched. Darius, you know, had a last-minute fumble, so, I mean, I had to adjust to the, to the average midshipman, and thank God I was in a squadron. Jay Gay, he was a rugby player, man. He, I lived with him from pretty much through flight school in Florida. We all were out in Hawaii together, so, you know, we were hanging out. Corey came down. Naturally, we were trained drinkers and partiers at that point, and I just don't think Corey was ready for it. So him and I think even Nishak came down at some point, man. Yeah. All the guys that came I, to hang with us, they, I'm they gonna struggled. I'm going to get there. <laughs> yeah, the, so Nishak didn't talk about himself struggling, but he he said that uh, <laughs> you guys uh, took him in at Hawaii when he was on his way through, um, passing through Oahu. Your house, he said, was pretty awesome. That you guys had a, a gladiator style type pugil stick fight thing set up over the top of your pool? Yeah, so imagine giving a bunch of young idiots uh, the BAH that we had in Hawaii. And, you know, we lived in Everybody these chips in mansions. on the same location. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had six bedroom mansions. Our first house had a moat that went around the backyard. And for aviation squadrons, there's, you know, we call running to the bulls. So who's the next J.O. that's going to come up and be like the party social planner? And we'd make them compete. So we did a gladiator theme. I'll never forget. We went and bought like a 20-foot board from Home Depot. Or I don't know if there was even Home Depot in Hawaii, whatever the hardwood store was. We're driving down the highway with it hanging out of my truck, all hanging on it. We put it over the pool, screw some circles on it buy some pipes and wrap towels around it and made all the young ensigns who were joining the squadron fight over the pool as to who would be the dominant one (laughs) exactly man nice we did that so nishak probably saw the remnants of that uh (laughs) i would never let nishak do that with these aviation guys because he would have killed them so you know i just appreciate he he enjoyed it but he he was not allowed to to be a part of it how do i get into the arena Exactly. At one point, I think Nishak was there. He growled as he got so drunk one night. We won't go into the other details of what happened that night, but he had a good time. (laughs) Awesome. All right. uh, Let's get into some serious stuff now. Milky, he said you were a beast on the backside of heavy with your hand down in the dirt. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, Milky, it was usually Milky was by me or Curtis. And I remember every time I would go line up by them, they look at me like, good luck, man. Like, I don't know what you're doing down here. And I would ask him, all right, I think this is where I'm supposed to go. What do I do? And they said, just close your eyes and go as low as you can and drive your legs. And that's what I did every time. And I think it worked out. I don't know if I was successful or not, but I don't think I gave up a sack. Well, it was <laughs> a Notre Dame. 
memory of his, so. Yeah, no, Milky. If it wasn't for Milky and Curtis, I think I lined up by them the most, man. I don't know what would I have done when I was on that line. Nice. We'll get to Notre Dame. That's my next one. You ready? Oh, man. All right. So <clears throat> I think a guy named uh, Rome may have brought this up on his uh, – <laughs> on his uh, television series, radio thing, or whatever. But uh, at Notre Dame, our senior year, you cut block a guy, and it pissed off the Notre Dame fans so bad. In the stands, they just went crazy. And it wasn't just the fans in the stands. Um, you know, it, it made, like, the news, right? <laughs> um, that you stood up after that block and shrugged your shoulders like, yeah, whatever. Like, I did what I was supposed to. Um, but that cub block made the Jim Rome show. Um, the cool news is Jim Rome kind of covered you and was like, that's, that's legit, right? People are, <laughs> are whining about something that may be questionable, but at the same time within the rules. So what do you remember about that event? Man? I mean, honestly, at the time it was not that big of a deal. You guys know who had coach Aurora. I mean, he had us all talking every game about, oh, yeah. you know, wild African prairie dogs and stuff. So we just got to keep chopping and chopping and chopping. Senior year, Notre Dame, you know, we played there as sophomores. You know, I might have got one or two plays of scrub time. But my senior year, I was there, and I was like the blocker. So I was like, I'm going to make sure I'm hustling my butt off every play. So normally, we go to a whistle. We're taught it in practice and everything else. Yep. I'm play back between the whistles. Exactly. I'm backside of the play. I see, I think his name was Blayton. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about to make him pay for this. And I go for it. And, you know, at the time, I was like, all right, that was a good one. That was a good one. Wasn't that bad? As I saw the, 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 the backlash of that, I realized it might have been a little dirty. And I'm sure a lot of you guys don't know this, but a few years later, I'm living in D.C. and I'm friends with some buddies in D.C. and one of them has a buddy who went and played football at Notre Dame, and he FaceTimed R.J. Blayton, the guy that I cut like that one night randomly, and he goes, hey, nice. you remember that ignorant dude from Navy that cheap shot at you? He's like, yeah, I remember him. I'll fight him to this day. And it was on FaceTime. He turned and pointed to me, and I'm just like, hey, my bad, man. Like, <laughs> so that was like five, six years later. He still remembered that, was still angry. <laughs> you know, some of my work colleagues even now have seen it. You know, everyone laughs at it. But at the end of the day – I did what I was taught to do. I don't want to say taught because it wasn't like they were saying to be dirty, but I played between the whistles. The rest clearly didn't blow that whistle. Yeah. I thought I had a legit shot, but, you know, looking back, it might might have been a little dirty, but, you know, stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me of a, of a conversation I had a few days ago with someone about, you know, making amends or, like, getting things right with emotions and – uh and the conversation was around, you know, you know, the heated conversation or the, the heated individual on the other side. And that, uh, you know, just give him a fist bump and be like, dude, you still mad? And, I mean, honestly, see where even it goes. After the game, <laughs> yeah, even after the game, I remember I went up to him, we were shaking hands. They were mad. We lost. I was like, hey, man, like, I'm sorry if that was a little messed up he goes oh man you know don't find me in the streets and i'm sitting there like dude you go to notre dame like i'm not trying to be like disrespectful i wasn't on purpose but like calm down a little bit so yeah it is uh, what it is fist bump you know like yeah hey, <laughs> peace uh you still mad okay yeah uh but no coach o'rourke on you know monday or tuesday practices we're doing all the follow-ups and he's like all right nick you got to do 200 yards of, you know, up-downs. Every five yards doing an up-down. I'm like, really, Coach? He's like, Nick, I have to so give yep. you this punishment. This is your requirement. But, but, and like, after that, good job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you did what we taught. So, you know, not that he taught me to do a dirty shot, but, you know, play between the whistles. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one, and, and I'll uh, I'll run you. And I'll, uh, yeah. you, know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I might, like, go in the other room and, like, think about it for a second, but I don't have to do any punishment myself. All right, Coach, gotcha. All right. <laughs> I remember they never let me forget it because Curtis was like, Nick, you're the most malicious player in college football because I guess one of the interviews they said that. And Curtis looked at me and was like, man, you want to stop these guys I know. <laughs> so that's kind of how that all transpired. But it is what it is. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Uh, last person of memories. I got some Curtis Bass memories here. Speaking of Curtis, uh, he said y'all had a lot of good times. He also said, how did you never get in trouble at the academy? 
Well, I did get in trouble freshman year. <laughs> I remember it was for something like a tap and go or something. I did a whole 60 days freshman year. And the craziest part was like I put in a, a chit or whatever the request was to have a weekend away. And my senior chief was not feeling it, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up sneaking out anyway, went with a bunch of guys. And, you know, we went to probably the blackest club in D.C., and as I'm standing in line, maybe it's midnight. It's not even crazy. We weren't even drunk or nothing like that. We were just out. We run into a senior in my class. I'll never forget this guy, like Greg Thompson or something. Nice. And I'm like, first of all, what are the odds that I run into a white person here? <laughs> but then secondly, someone that is at the Naval Academy and then that lane that they're going to tell on me when I get back. That was my luck as a freshman. So that was like my one big, like, okay, you messed up. I was like, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Ryan Rowling, Andy Tattersall, and Keenan were my seniors. And, you know, they did nothing but try to keep me out of trouble. So they were like, hey, Nick, man, it's going to suck, dude. So I did get in trouble then. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, I, I pushed limits. Don't get me wrong. But I never broke it too far. And I'm sure there's, you know, Curtis was talking to you, there's probably a handful of stories where, we could have gotten a lot of trouble for, but you know, we don't need to. We don't, we don't need to bring up old times. It was uh they were yeah. all growing lessons. <laughs> that, that's why I floated the crest, the question out there, as in, uh, you know, how'd it go? And you, you just told us. So, all right, yeah. <clears throat> last couple of uh, of memories here from him. He said he didn't think that you played football in your senior year of high high school, or is it your only year that you played was senior year of high school. Yeah, um, so that you put on some weight uh, and carried that to Navy football with the chip on your shoulder um, that we all had, that you had something to prove. I mean, you guys, even if you met me coming as a freshman, I was always a little cocky, arrogant, trying to show everyone whatever. But I mean, I did not. I was not a football player. I mean, I played as a kid through middle school and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I was at a suburb school in Pittsburgh probably just a little bit more athletic, which is why I got away with it. Because basketball was a sport that I liked, but I wasn't that tall. And going into my freshman was, year, I broke you my You weren't that tall. You're, you're like 6'4". Yeah, but it, that wasn't until high school. So, like, growing up, I wasn't, like, a big guy. I was, you know, regular size of anything and always very skinny. My freshman year, I broke my collarbone, didn't play. Sophomore year, didn't play. My junior year, and my parents were very big in academics, so I was always doing something over the summer, be it Carnegie Mellon, engineering programs. I went out to Stanford going into my senior year. So I wasn't so there smart. for summer training. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm smart, but I was forced to not be dumb. We'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> um, yeah, but junior year, I didn't even want to go to camp. My dad forced me literally to go to football camp my junior year. Started playing, and I was a DB. I was a DB, and I didn't start until like four games into the season and then was like one of the better DBs. Played receiver the last game of my junior year. Then senior year, I was gone for the summer at Stanford for some academic program, came back to camp, and then led the state. And maybe, I don't know, state or city. Something. I did really good in receptions, and I was like a deep threat. Everyone knew me, but I came out of nowhere. So, you know, normally a six four kid like me was getting big D one offers, but I had maybe some smaller schools, some MAC conferences, and then the academy. So that was really how I landed at Navy. And actually, I signed with Air Force. Fisher DeBerry was calling me when I reneged on that offer and went to Navy. I remember I was at Penn State partying with friends, and he's on the phone with me. I'm like, "Hey, you gotta call my dad. I don't know what to tell you." My dad was an Air Force pilot back in the '70s, so he was pushing for that. But like. Yeah, football was never a main thing. It just all kind of fell into place. Ended up at Navy, and I think that's why, as you think about Navy catching balls and then becoming a blocker, it's like I had one really good year of just running around catching balls. It wasn't like a thing for me. It was just more of like, okay, I'm kind of good at this. Let me leverage it. Nice. That's cool, though. That's a good story um, because a lot of people are, are changing careers. A lot of people are changing direction every single year, and sometimes they feel like, they're working on something. So like for you, it's like basketball or whatever, you know, maybe track. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, this football thing worked out for me this year. All right. It's just put me on a new trajectory. So that's, that's a really cool story. Um, at, at least that was my takeaway there. And, you know, it definitely puts you on a path from then to now and where you're at today. So, and we'll get to there, but there's one, one last <clears throat> Curtis Bass story for, 
Mr. Nick Henderson, and that was that you were resilient. You had a lots of uh, receiver competition that you never gave up. Um, you were always fighting to get playing time, and specifically in senior year, that you had thick skin, took some criticism, but never let that define you. So, I mean, I think that's fair, and I think that's one of the best things that Navy football taught me now. To be completely fair, I think some of it was blind arrogance. And no matter who was telling me the truth, in my mind, you know, I was this, that, and the other. No, so, I mean, at the end of the day, coming in Navy football, I mean, I was coming off of a big season. And Navy football was a shock to me. It's like, you know, I got to do this. I got to be tough. And I was not like a big contact tough person and all that. So, I mean, I went through my own struggles freshman, sophomore year. Being a bigger guy, you know, I got Tyree and Curtis Sharp, all these players that were around me, OJ Washington, and you know, even just me as yeah. a personality. OJ was the, he's good. Oh, yeah. I remember OJ. Oh, yeah. I mean, all those guys, <laughs> I was, I got a number early freshman year and I was by OJ. So I was watching OJ. He used women's deodorant and then would whoop my ass on the football field at practice and call me. So, like, that's how it was. But you know what? You're right. I just, I had to swallow some pride at times, but I just kept going. And then senior year, for whatever reason, I can't even tell you what that switch was, but I was given opportunity and I go from, okay, I want to catch, catch touchdown passes to, you know what, I'm going to be the blocker. And then it was me and Bobby Doyle. I mean, we were probably strong side of every offensive player our senior year. We were out there because, you know, that's just the job we had. And if you ask me as in high school or younger, even as a freshman and sophomore the academy, I mean, O'Rourke used to – I think Coach Bohannon told me my knee bend was so bad it looked like I was eating a giraffe's pussy or something like that. Like, like that's the kind of stuff I had at first. And then at the end when I left, I was a blocker. Bohannon so. was one of uh, Paul Johnson's original crew. Oh, yeah. He was one of the original guys where we heard that I – He's one of the original beat-down coaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But honestly, <laughs> Bohannon, he kind of set the bar for me to just say, you know what, Nick, shut up and color, shut up and dribble, whatever True. it is. So it worked. That, I needed to hear that. that works? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Now, um, the resiliency, I think, is is more than just a few memories here. Um, we already kind of mentioned that with the, um, you know, that high school year of, of football that you played and where it, you know, kind of took you, um, you know, thick, st- thick skin and resiliency goes a long way. And uh, it's kind of, I think, where you're going to go with your story. So um, now... Uh, turn it over to you. Memories intro are done. And that's a long memory and intros. We're at 22 minutes. So now I turn it over to you to say, uh, what's your story? It's a good man. And you know, my story, it's a, it's not special. It's not unique. It's a, you know, some of the bad times were mostly self-inflicted, but I'll never forget coming out of high school. You know, I went to a big high school, upper middle class, you know, doing all this stuff. Thought I was, you know, the, best thing to come out of whatever it was you know how you are when you're 18 but going to the academy i honestly think if i look back at my life if i did anything else besides going to the academy i wouldn't be where i'm at today so i I do appreciate that and you know also being one of the direct guys you know you come in day one it's plebe summer you don't even really see the football players you got all these people running around yelling i'm sitting here like what the hell am i doing and then you get into the football locker room and you feel like more comfortable, right? These guys are regular, but you know, you naps guys, you already had your own like group and system. I'll never forget, man, between Ram and Blake and Curtis freshman year. I mean, these guys clown me left and right. And it was honestly good for my ego because I needed to be settled a little bit. But at the same time, that resilience, I'm still arrogant enough to just do what I want to do. So between, you know, my our classmates and we had the seniors, you know, I was lucky. I had Keenan Little. You know, I know Keenan's not with us anymore, but, you know, Keenan was one of the first people to kind of like from he was never hard on me. I feel like he accepted. All right. Keenan was a little different because he was from like the middle of absolute nowhere. And then I was on the other side of where I'm coming in. So he always gave me a little, you know, wiggle room around that. And then Ryan Rowling and Taddy, they were just, you know, nice guys, all Navy football. So I had a really good group around me to help me with that transition. And then just going through, I mean, you know, there was times I wanted to quit, not be involved with it. I wasn't getting much playing time at first. 
you know, Bohannon and he left and then Aurora came over and, you know, me and Aurora, we didn't click at first because for me, it was just like, Aurora, calm the fuck down, dude. Like you're doing too much. And then over time, I'm like, okay, I really appreciate that. So, I mean, it was my senior year when I started to get some attention and, you know, I've had scrub time sophomore and junior year, but nothing respectable. Um, going in that senior year, it was the Pittsburgh game where I'm from, where I finally got my first like real like action. And this is after watching the younger guys play over me and stuff. So, I mean, it, it was all good and wonderful. And I, I'll never forget coach Nia Montalolo and that high bitch voice is running hashes on Monday telling me persevere, keep going. And not just to me in particular, but just in general. And that's something that just always stuck with me. So, you know, that was kind of starting to build the foundation. And then, you know, going into senior year, I mean, I got my chance. I figured it out. And, you know, I kind of owned what I thought I would never be a part of. So that built the foundation of Navy football and what I was able to do and appreciate it. And at the same time, as you mentioned, you know, my brother's a freshman. And my brother, he played as a sophomore, junior. You know, he had a lot more playing time with me. He was a big guy on the D-line. You know, that was a little bit of a gut check, too. But at the same time, I was never upset. I was happy that he was able to find his path there and, you know, working with Coach Pearson and stuff. But, you know, I look back on those Navy football days from what it taught me on the field was one thing because it was totally different from the social element. I mean, you know, from all of us guys, we went out and, you know, we partied. We had fun. We definitely pushed all the rules at the academy. Probably could write a book about it, but I want to incriminate myself today with saying anything too stupid so <laughs> writing it now yeah, so you know, just be careful it was fun and i you know i've heard some of the other podcasts i mean i was down there with you tony i remember in lark and we're sitting on that shit when commander fuller came down and was talking about how far up his our booties he was gonna be and we're all just trying not to laugh and you know <laughs> lark is lark is the main criminal of all of this and you just sat there and jumped on the grenade for him and i remember thinking like damn tony good for you good for ross like you guys had nothing to do with this meanwhile me and curtis and i think darius maybe someone else we were doing something else probably totally equally as bad but just in a different part of town and when we got that call back to the ship we were like oh no what do we get caught doing i don't know like what do we do like it wasn't like oh we didn't do anything it was like oh crap what did they catch us doing <laughs> and then we got back and we were so relieved it wasn't us but then we felt bad it was lark because you know it was like oh yeah. shit it was another one of our people and then we heard what well, he did and we were like mm, okay well we didn't do anything that though <laughs> <laughs> well uh that's that's the differentiator right there is uh you guys were smarter you know we us, can't say so we're smarter that I just day. Think we we were probably all coming into it with more demerits than the rest of you guys, so we knew we had to be sneakier in what you know rules we were going to break or push. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, pumped the brakes after that event, oh. for sure, and, and my uh, risk-taking opportunities. So I mean, but to be fair, if you look back at it now and like the scheme of the world and everything, you guys didn't do anything that bad or any college kid wouldn't do. It was just Lark is probably scares the shit out of anyone when he's drunk, so... They had to respond to it. So, you know, that's what it was there. But I'll never forget, man. And Commander Fuller, because he was in my part of the military, I'd run into him. And I could never look at this man without him being in that room telling us about, you know, our booties and stuff. It was like a grown man yelling at college kids, but cussing us out like we were five years old. And everyone when tried I went back to, to that Memphis. <laughs> when I, I went back to that Memphis game in, uh, in Annapolis, met up with Marshall and – Meshack and all the guys that one time we we came together the one time over the past what 10 years we're actually able to do that i saw him at the games yeah. and i just i kind of like put my head down it's like i don't want to go there right now oh man like and you never know what he's gonna say <laughs> no booty yeah, shit. he might be he might come up with you with something else that's totally off the wall and you know good for him I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he made admiral so he was doing the military that's, thing good for him not even upset and that's another point. You bring up guys like Cam Marshall, man. I remember, I'll never forget the first time I met Cam. I was like, what, what the fuck is this guy? Like, yo, who is this? But Cam was the one person. I mean, you know, I talked a lot of shit back in the day. You know, people could talk shit to me, but Cam was one of the only person people on that team. If he yelled at me, I listened to what he said. I didn't care. I just, that guy just, Cam always commanded respect. And you just hear a story, what he's done, even how we play, like, there's something about Navy football that started it. And as you get into 
the military with everyone. And, you know, as part of my story is I went into it. I mean, aviation, I was solo by myself. My first two, I went down to Pensacola with no roommates because I was supposed to stay with Darius and he didn't make it down. And I was in the parking lot and met this guy, Taylor. And I, I feel so bad. I'm forgetting the other guy's name, but there's these two guys and I'm talking to him. I'm like, Hey, what's up guys? Yeah. I just came down. Yeah. I don't have a place to live yet. Just going to figure it out and look around. And they were like, come live with us. It was like the number one and number three aviator grads from the Naval Academy. And these guys took me in a room, my roommate. So going through flight school, like API is the first thing in Pensacola. I mean, if you want to say What's API? API is like the initial, it's a six week school. You take a test on a different subject every week and you have to get like at this time, cause it was real competitive. You had to stay like at a 90% on the test in order to make it to the next week. If not, you got kicked out and sent to slow or, you know, whatever else it was out there. So I'm with uh, these two guys and you know, they're, they're not like football. They're not like me, but these guys ended up for those like six or whatever, 12 months I lived with them. I mean, they were my friends and I learned quickly. I had to adjust. Like there's not, it's not Navy football. I got to figure it out, you know, be it, you call them Joe's nerds, you know, whatever. But those guys were really good guys. And it kind of opened up my mind to help me, you know, with my eight year Navy career. And then as we're going through it, I remember, you know, there's still a couple aviator guys like, you know, Jay Young and them that you got your idiots in aviation and we all have a good time. But going through it at that stressful time, I mean, these guys study nonstop. And I'm sitting there like, guys, you don't have to study that hard. Just like ask the teacher what's on the test. Figure it out and go, and they. Wait, wait, wait! Did you do that in school? You asked the teacher what's on the test. Well, like, you just listened. I never, they did the gouge. You that. did the gouge. I mean, honestly, my senior oh. year, my best GPA at the academy <clears> was like a three six, and didn't even buy a textbook. I was one of those that could just pick up what you're talking mm. about, but I would never get a four because I would never like study enough to do it. But going through API, these guys were studying nonstop and they get so mad. I remember we were going out and partying like every night before test, me and this one guy I met from South Carolina, South Carolina, we would have, we had to go out the night before a test. It was good luck. I had like a 96 average out of API. And it's not like, this is not the most complicated stuff, but what I learned at that point is like, you need to stop worrying about studying the material and listen to what matters. And that was a theme that kind of I've carried throughout life. And that was very helpful. But, you know, meeting with those guys, I live in for a year. They all went out to do their thing. I went on to Jacksonville, picked, you know, did well there, picked P3s. And Jacksonville, I was with Jordan Young, Dave Mahoney, Jer- Jeremy McGown, and then, you know, some other guys along the way that either had a touch to do with football or not, man. And, I mean, it was just a crew. And Jack's Beach, I mean, by no means is this like a big-time city, but – it was fun, dude. And, you know, Jay Young, nice. Captain America, Captain Navy football, whatever you want to call it. I love that guy to death. And you got Jay Mac <laughs> doing his thing. He is the oh. uh, <laughs> he is the uh, the tailgate um, entertainer. I mean, Jay Young, I've never met someone so dedicated to America and to Navy and to Navy football. He was at my wedding. Mm-hmm. He was at my brother's wedding. I mean, Jay Young is one of my friends to this day. And, you know, we were P3 guys, so we were just nice. around each other nonstop. But the Jacksonville time was fun, you know, steering out. Now I'm an officer. I'm trying to figure out my own way, still balancing, you know, Navy football. Does it matter? Does it not? Going through. Then I went out to my squadron in Hawaii. And, you know, in Hawaii, I'm the only one who ever played a sport anywhere or done anything like that. But Hawaii was a good time. And it's a part of that, like, you know, just shut up and just do what you're supposed to do. Just be the right person. And, you know, we were a bunch of young guys. Jay Young was, or Jay, not Jay Young, but Jameson, who Corey mentioned was down there with me. You know, we got in a little bit of trouble when we were in our squadron. We deployed, we were Mediterranean, Eastern Africa and stuff. You know, we were having a good time, but it was the- Did you get shot out there? Yeah, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but for whatever reason, I was on one of the flights that got shot at. <laughs> and we had like- By who? I, I don't know if I can go into those details, but- it was it was like friendly fires what they ended up putting it on from someone that we were working with. But if that recording ever oh. comes out, like I'm pretty sure my commanding officer heard it and I was just like I screamed, I was like, What the f-? you know, let's go, climb, climb. I was screaming, like kinda of making fun and a joke of it because I was that scared. But um mm-hmm. you know, we were I did two deployments in the same region in the Med, Eastern Africa. Like we were the 
flights that were like hunting the pirates and stuff in Somalia. If you guys remember when that was going on, Uh, it was something on the ground. Um, You know, they came back and told us what it was, but we can't really verify that. No one really knows. It wasn't anything eventful at the end of the day, but I remember I was sleeping. We, you know, uh, we were in Djibouti and our rooms essentially were like 18 wheeler hutch caps and there was two beds in there and I, you know, it was pitch black in there and, I wake up, hey, Nick, did you see the plane you were on last night? And I'm like, no, why? What are you talking about? Dude, it was all under your seat. And under my seat was like like riddled with shrapnel stuff. And it was because something like blew up, I guess, close and enough. But I mean, at the time, we just we saw the lights. It looked like fireworks. I don't want to make this cooler than it is. It was fireworks. It looked like we climbed and then headed back home. And that was like the event of our story. So did you hit a bird or did you have holes in the side of your room? No, it was like like, dented uh, up underneath the plane. So something was definitely shot at us, but I don't know like what it was. I'm sure there's more official reports, but it was nothing that really put us, we were never in harm's way. Well, we were in harm's way, but we were never in danger. (laughs) So no holes, just dents. Yeah. I guess we'll call it dance. We'll call okay. it dance. Yeah, I don't, you, you know, you, you can call it whatever you want to. But that was just like one story. And, you know, I always told everyone like, oh, you know, I should get a Medal of Honor or something like that for what we did. But we were, it was all just jokes. You had to make fun. You know, you go on deployment for seven months. We did three yep. months in Catania, which was Italy and like good times. And you did three months of hard time in Djibouti where you're on in the middle of the desert in third world Africa. You know, we had one hotel where we would sneak out to, and the cabs that took you there, like one cab didn't even have a windshield. It was a boot that held up a broken windshield. And I remember Jay Gay and Derek Bruce, who's another football player, theirs broke down in the middle of one of the towns. And they would always look at me like, mm-hmm. okay, Nick, you know, you're black. You, they'll trust you here. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, this is not my kind of black, bro. I don't know what to tell you, man. You guys are shit out of luck. You ever seen, uh, <laughs> you ever seen Lord of War? With Nicholas Cage? Yeah, yeah. So, where you were describing that story, when you got shot uh, or you had birds fly into your plane, I was thinking of the Lord of War with the convertible with the guy that has the AK-47 that's golden. Um, during the, You know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I do with you, but like, I'm not saying like my shot story, it's like... It's almost like a meme on the internet today. Like, I feel like we were who were on the plane and where we were and all that stuff. Like, yes, technically it was scary. Or maybe other people were more scared and have a different yeah. version. You I just, just didn't. I was like, no. You just, <laughs> you made me feel like that with like the whole, all the like question marks within that story. So oh, yeah. uh, I'm thinking Lord of War, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, an African nation starts shooting up, you know, rounds randomly. And all of a sudden, uh, you get a few dents in, in that yeah. uh, that, that aircraft. I so, mean, anyways, yeah, it, that's that's where my head went. I, it's, we don't have to keep on, uh, <laughs> you know, staying on that. But that's just how I we'll put it, it this so, way: it was something cool moving. that I say I was a part of, but it wasn't nearly as cool as like what it was. And I know there's a lot of other guys out there that have a lot worse stories and had to deal with more. So I don't, you know, I like to keep it even kill there. <laughs> Yeah, not, not trying to compare stuff here. I just thought it was a cool story. Oh, yeah. You. So, but no, uh, so, Nishak told me that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I mean, Hawaii was a good time. Some good deployments went all over the world. You know, when Benghazi happened, we were over there, and our unit in Djibouti got sent to Seychelles, which is these beautiful islands off the eastern coast of Africa. I won't even talk about that, but it was, like, the best deal ever of already a good deal we had. So I did that in Hawaii, and then after that, we had a shore tour. I was up in D.C., and... You know, I got connected and um, I was like really one of the shore units. We were like Navy policy and my side job was like working on like the alternative Pentagon. So I got to do helicopter ride with all the big admirals and stuff. You know, a lot of, That's yeah, cool. you know, made friends with all the SESs and stuff. But I picked D.C. because I knew I was like, all right, the military is not a full career for me. Let me go to D.C. network, get ready to get out. Um, you know, it was the easiest job in the world. I think I went to work at nine, left by three or four and have a two hour lunch break where I go up to the. Fort Myers, which is the base by Arlington Cemetery, play basketball, lift, and work out and stuff. Um, but that was good. And then um, I, I'm sure a lot of you guys know Cameron Brooks. So I was one of those that did everything from Tech Qualled, Cameron Brooks, Lee Cohen Group. I talked to everyone, was doing my own networking. I just knew that I've heard so many stories of don't, you know, 
One thing about the military, especially those who went to the academy, think about it. You go from high school to your parents telling you what to do. The Naval Academy, you got a bunch of people telling you what to do. You go into the military, they all tell you what to do. And if you want to promote what you have to do to do it, this is the first time when you go to get out where you have to actually make a decision for yourself. So I was like, you know, let me try everything. Yeah. I got, uh, I did one of the camera books thing, did everything in camera books. They connected me, you know, you know, two day interviews, seven interviews a day, 14 companies, whatever you want to call it. And I met this group called Russell Reynolds. And in my mind, I'm like, Russell Reynolds, what is this? They talked about recruiting, this, that, and the other. I'm like, mm, you know, we'll see. They put the salaries on there. I'm like, okay, the salary looks good. But even at that point, you know, your mind coming out military, you just want to make good money. You don't care. You think you deserve it, this, that, and the other. So I took this interview and I started talking. And, you know, the firm is an executive search and assessment firm. So we pretty much work with CEOs, board of directors of large public companies, and we build out leadership teams. We do advisory work. We assess people. You ever worked with? Uh, you ever worked with uh, a beverage company based out of Frisco, Texas? Pepsi. No. Um, Dan, there's a Dan. Someone with a D. Okay. Hasn't happened. Keep going. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, if you name it, I might not have it because I'm in healthcare. So maybe my firm has. I'm not a. I'm not allowed to name it. Oh, okay. That's what I was asking. Well, and that's another thing. So first of all, I got connected to this big firm and they're like, you know, I'm kind of like slow balling them. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. And now looking back, like, I don't know who the hell I thought I was because this is the best opportunity I've ever had in my life. And honestly, some people try to get into this stuff. They can't. But, you know, they were young military. They wanted to bring us in. They brought in me and an Air Force guy. Similar stage. The Air Force guy lasted three months. And honestly, I feel like because I was just Honestly, I mean, like, I was just picked up for it. They brought me in. I came down here, and the guy, I moved to Dallas because the guy that uh, hired me is, a like, a 2000 grad, one of my best friends now. He was a Samariner. So you know, I was like, okay, this is a sub guy. He's probably a nerd. Honestly, complete opposite of that. But, you know, what I got into for a living is it's, it's, it's really more of the things, and if you remember me from the academy, like, I was the guy at the bar that was going to talk to anyone, didn't care, had no fear, do this, that, and the other. That's exactly what my job is now. I came into this company. I didn't know healthcare. I didn't know corporate America. I didn't know executive search or assessment, which is what we do. And, you know, you guys will probably never believe this who knew me, but when I moved down here in about 2017, I probably worked 80 hours a week, was in the office at 7, 8 o'clock at night, just grinding it out, figuring it out. And it got to a point where, you know, I was good, I was comfortable, and not in 20, I was in healthcare. So when 2020 COVID hit, it was kind of scary. I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? They were starting to do cuts, but I was in healthcare, so it started to pick up. In 2021, our firm has been around for 54 years. I leveraged that momentum and hard work, and I broke a record at our company. I closed more searches and revenue engagement than everyone else. It put me on like, a super trajectory last year I got promoted, which is essentially like our junior partners level right now I'm at. And you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis is I have to sit down with, if you think of back when COVID happened and they had that press conference, it was like Trump and a bunch of healthcare leaders up there. I was literally about to have a call with one of the guys on the stage. Cause I was working for him on something and he was sitting next to Trump and he called and canceled. Hey, Nick, I got to cancel because it's going on right now. I can't tell you what's happening. And I looked on TV and saw him up there. Nice. So yeah, they made a lot of money. Oh, they made so much money. It's, you know, I'm not going to trash healthcare cause it's a good thing, but yeah, yeah there's a lot of politics and stuff behind the scenes involved for sure. I mean, it's, it's a stable business, but you know, not, you take all that away. There's nothing I can do about that. I have no control of those decisions, <laughs> but it's all about walking into the room going back to Navy football, not knowing anyone and just having the balls to sit up there and be confident and talk to a CEO of a multi-billion, you know, billion dollar corporation office all over the world. Here I am a 32 year old young black kid. And you know, these are a lot of older people like they don't give a shit. They don't trust what I say, but you got to figure out what makes them trust you. And you know, you accelerate that five, six years. I mean, Dallas and you know, the former mayors, a lot of the executives at at and you know, a lot of those executives, man. It's just relationships. But that same, it's relationships, yeah. but it goes back to that same thing of what I learned in Navy football. If stuff is hard, if stuff is tough, 
just shut up and color and do what you're being told to do. And I was lucky to have good people around me helping me out there. But I mean, if it wasn't for Navy football, the military, like the suck sucks. My job, I deal with people. You can't control people. Some people get excited when they do good or get too sad when they do bad. It's like never too high, never too low. Just shut up and fucking dribble, stay in between the lanes and do what you're supposed to do. That is what allowed me to kind of accelerate and do all the things I've done in the real world. And it's just been like the biggest blessing and gift as I look back on it because you guys that know me, like I was nothing special. I talked a lot of shit, you know, arrogant, this, that, and the other. But this job has been humbling. It's been rewarding. And it's really just allowed me, luckily, I have no control over this. I just figured out what worked for me. And that's something a lot of people transition out of military and they don't realize. So you say, Yes, six years I've been here, but this is a long game. This is a company I can be at for 30 years. I can retire at 50 and be just fine or go do something else. But you just don't, you can't, it's not like a job in, you know, manufacturing or sales where you can jump easily. That, that's just not my option here. Yeah. Key, key takeaway there is you said the long game. What is, what is the enabler for your long game with where you're at today? So the long game, it's all about relationships. So from if you think about it, if I do a search for a VP level person, that's maybe two levels before the CEO, and I'm talking to all these folks, in five years, that person may be at a level now where they're reporting into the CEO. Five years later, they're the CEO. I build those relationships and grow with those people over time. And healthcare is a main focus. But on the other side, you know, I do work with the NFL. I went to the combine. I've been to combine the past two or three years. I interview me tickets? all the head. <laughs> I wish I can't even get myself tickets, <laughs> but uh, I interview all the head coach and GM candidates for that level below them. And we drive it through and we coach him. I mean, Quazy Mitchell, who's the GM for the Vikings was one of my guys, Mike Kepka. I remember interviewing him and now he's the co-coordinator for the Giants. So you know, the sports thing is something that's fun. You know, Troy Vincent, who runs operations, I've worked with him on some different initiatives. I was up there the other week meeting with him. You know, it's just been awesome. And then somehow that I was able to leverage, because it wasn't football that they brought me in for at my firm. It was healthcare. But because I was able to just stay in my lane in healthcare and show that I could do it, then the people that were working with the NFL said, hey, Nick, we need you to come help us with us. And now it's like I go to do NFL stuff, and it's the easiest thing in the world for me, and it's fun. Nice. Yeah, I get paid for it, but it's it, it's awesome. But it's because I didn't get ahead of it. I didn't get impatient. And as guys come out, I know it's easy. In the military, every two or three years, you got new orders, new city, new job. When you go to the real world, that's that's just not real. If you jump every two to three years in a job, you're not you're not going to make it. You're not going to figure it out. People don't trust that you're going to actually commit to them. True. So, you know, that was just something I learned. And, you know, if I didn't just put my head down and just – What's the 76ers trust the process with Embiid and all those guys? Like, you just got to just shut up and trust the process. And I had a Navy guy that I was very open to feedback when I joined. I just accepted I was dumb as rocks and just I'll do whatever you say. And if if I could give one point of folks coming out, find a good mentor. When you pick your first job, pick your job based on the person you're working for and trusting them not based off what you think you know, because us coming out of the military, we all have no relevant experience for corporate America, but we all have the X factor is how to figure it out. So you can't over-index on what you think. Just trust your X factor and trust the person that's going to get you to where you need to be. Awesome. Based off of the, the conversations we have so far, like your communication skills are awesome. So the relationships. Um, building of those relationships, like you said, like that's really important. And the ability to communicate well is a value that is so important. And it totally makes sense of what you're doing today, um, especially with what you're doing and how you're doing it uh, so far demonstrated based off of the communication capabilities you've, you know, shown. So, um yeah, I would just say on that piece there is like the one thing in the military you realize it's very easy to just stay in your own lane and do whatever you want. But this whole world is built off relationships. I mean, from the golf course to your friends, your neighborhood, you cannot be a hermit out here Yeah, because if you do not have relationships, I, I never forget two years ago, I was at a 
I just went with my now wife to New Year's Eve dinner, and I met this older guy, and I just happened to talk to him. He was looking around. You could tell he was running the show, and I just went up and talked to him. And one thing he said, said to me, I ended up doing some investments with him, and now he's like a you know semi-mentor of mine. But he said, your net worth is equal to your network. So those who think they can do it by themselves, no matter how smart you are or whatever, it's just not a reality. You have to have a network around you that's going to get you to where you ultimately want to be. And, you know, you can tie it to success. And success is another thing. Some people define it by how much money you make. Some people define it by the impact you make on this world. The guy that you- Going to the Naval Academy. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just saying, going to the Naval Academy, we're taught that you can do a lot of things in a lot of different ways. So I know people that make 50K a year that are more successful, happier, and wealthier than those that make $2 million a year because it's all a matter of how you look at it. And I think that's something that's a tough concept for people to grasp. But once you do, you'll be a happier person all around. The guy that you talked to about that network uh, equals net worth. What was his name? If you can release it. His name was Mike Buchler. And I don't, you know, I hope this doesn't come back and affect him, but it was just a random guy. He lives in Highland Park, Dallas, which if you know Dallas, it's like one of the richest neighborhoods in the country. And I was just talking to him. I've met with him about several things from, you know, my situation to investments, everything else. I mean, if most people are probably scared to go up to him, but for the same ignorant thing that allowed me to go out when I was in college and talk to every girl at the bar and not even care what it mattered, what they looked like, you know, I was just being a young, stupid guy. That same skill set is what allows you to go to a networking party or a work party. If you're at a work party and you're not talking or at least trying to make connections with people, you're doing yourself a disjustice. You're just wasting your time because it doesn't matter if you're the smartest person or the dumbest person in the room. You got to have people that are going to be able to work with you and listen to you because you need the full spectrum in order to be successful, no matter what you do, from corporate America to nonprofit to running a homeless shelter. Yep. It's just the reality of the world. Communication skills, very important. Uh, key takeaway there for, for everybody listening. Uh, another reason why I started doing this, because back when you and I were, you know, sophomores, junior, seniors, I didn't have the best communication skills. And that's another reason why I started doing this podcast so I could speak more and try more and experiment more and talk with, with you today. I'm like, holy crap, I still got a lot of catching up to do because Nick's on it. He's got his communication but, skills honed. But Tony, you got you to gotta think back to what you were doing. Tony, you were like the definition of meathead <coughs> football. Like, if I had to go and block, oh, okay, hey, yeah, go block Tony in practice. I'm like, I'm not trying to block this motherfucker. Well, I can't like, do that you know, now, Nick. He's going to run over me. I can't like. do that now. I have to be able to talk. That's the problem. I, and I'm I trying to find it, a but solution. I'm saying, push yourself. Like, <laughs> Tony, if you're able to do what you did on the football field or even just being like the bro you are to everyone, there's no reason why you can't just go talk to someone and ask them how their day was. True. And if you don't like talking to people, if you say something nice or compliment someone, that's the easiest way to connect with them. And yes, you don't have to have deep conversations or be their best friends, but they're like, okay, that's a good guy. All you need is everyone to say is, oh, Tony's a good guy. Nick's a good guy. All you need is people to think, okay, that's a good guy. Because at the end of the day, there's billions of people in this world. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to agree with you. Yep. You just need people to know that you're a good person. And, you know, the whole world accepted that and kind of took that on. A lot of the nonsense you see every day on the news, no matter it's Fox or CNN or whatever, whatever thing you agree with or go with. And we all know in military, it's all a lot of BS. It makes your life a lot easier. And most people agree about the same stuff. Be a good person. Yep. Awesome. hundred percent. All right. Anything else on your story before I uh, cut into some questions for you? No, man. Let it rip, dude. All right. I'm, just, I'm here to help out. Do you have a favorite coach story? Uh, I, I think I touched on it <laughs> earlier, but... Danny O. I mean, I, yeah, so Danny O was one. And, you know, I even... Because um, I do some work with coaches, so... Me and Jeremy McGowan went over to see the football team when they were down here playing SMU this year, and I talked to Danny O. And, you know, Danny O, he lit into me. I was his punching bag. And not in a bad way. I haven't said this. We talked to the team. I was like, you know, you guys, 
out here. Like, you don't realize what you have. And I was talking to him. I was like, Coach O'Rourke, he literally yelled at me every day about something. He'd find something to yell at me about. But it always made me a better person. And I know he was always doing it for the right reason. So, you know, Danny O, I mean, from he's looked at me in my face and told me I was dumb, a scrub, this, that, and the other. But the only real coaching story that never lets, like, has never left my mind is when I was a freshman and Coach Bo, we were in the, in Tyree Barnes made this very, you know, won't let me forget this. <laughs> but we were watching film and I was doing like a stock block because that's what we do as receivers. And he's like, hey, Nick, look at this stock block. Are you stock blocking or are you trying to eat a giraffe's pussy? <laughs> and I've literally, to this day, like, they've always just looked at me and said, oh, that's Nick eating giraffe pussy. I'm just like, God damn. Like, I can't even, like, go to the gym. I do, like, you know, I still work out and try to stay healthy. I'm in the gym and working out and I'll, like, do something with a knee bend. And I'm like, all right, Nick, you better bend your knees because you're not going to be eating giraffe pussy. Like, yeah. that is, like, something that has stuck with me forever. So that is my coaching story that will not go away. Gotcha. <laughs> That that's my reminder to hit the explicit button on this podcast. Explicit. Yeah. You might top. have to cut that out. Uh, <laughs> giraffe, giraffe butt, maybe. Maybe that's a little easier. <laughs> nice. All right. <clears throat> so you talked a lot about the transition story for you from NFO to uh, what you're doing it now. Um, anything else on the transition that, you, from a learning standpoint, that other people could benefit from? So what I learned with transition is stop listening to everyone else. At the end of the day, your transition is on you and only you. I mean, you know, you can trust the Cameron Brooks, and I know they make you sign that clause, oh, you're only going to work with us. I signed that without any hesitation, and I'm talking to everyone out there. You got to realize when you go from the military where people care about you and, you know, have to protect you, in the real world, no one gives a shit about you when you walk out that door beside your family and yourself. Shamwell. So, as, yes, as when you are walking out that door, man, go do whatever it is you need to do. You know, if you have a sign of contract and there's a money thing involved to it, you know, be careful there, but just go get it. And it may not work the first time, it may not work the second time, but there's so many stories. Uh, who's the young guy? Ty, Ty Green. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but. He started like three tech companies. I think he was in my little brother's class. And now he has like a several million dollar cyber business. Who was a Naval Academy kid. You got um, uh, the Echo Brothers. They went out and started companies. It's just like, just go do it. It may suck. It may not be easy. You know, there may be better ways to do it. There's safer ways to do it. But if you went through fourth quarters and Navy football and being in the hall with the midshipmen who were looking for ways to get you to fail, you can go do whatever it is you want out here. Because at the end of the day, let's be real about people. No one likes to get shit done. Everyone likes to just be thought of that they can do something. So if you're the one out there at a large corporation and you can get it done, stop. You know, you can think about all the different initiatives out here. It's all nonsense. There's a few people that can sit there and take five different talking points, figure out an execution plan, and go get the shit done. And Navy football, the military has set you up to do that better than anyone else. And those that figure that out become successful. And the ones that find excuses or go trying to chase, well, where's my checklist? I know that if I stay in the military and I do these things, I'll become an 04, 05, 06, whatever. Okay, that's fine. That's great. It's a wonderful life. You're a respectable human. But can you do more? And that's the question I ask everyone. Can you do more? Some can, some can't, some don't want to, some want to. It's that simple. Nice. You just inspired me uh, more. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's a good thing. You do and that's before you're married, though. You have kids and a wife. Once a wife's involved, yeah. You can only do but so much, so I won't get you in trouble. Tony. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm writing that down right now. Can you do more? Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Boom. Can you do more? I mean, just look at Jesse. Jesse was someone that we all teased at some point. We laughed with at some point, this, that, and the other. Jesse said, I'm going to be the only African that's going to be a race car driver and have a trucking company. Like, 
Jesse, of all people. And he's out there. He just did it. Doing it. Like, that's the prime yeah. example. And he's set the bar for all of us in the academy. Ram, who couldn't even keep his dick in his pants half the time, is the CTO of a multi-million dollar company. Like, you have to realize, like, you know, the dumbest people or the most immature, whatever, they're all out there just getting it done. And it doesn't matter what you were or what you might have been or what people thought of you. Just go fucking do it. Nice. Do it. I'm getting a little cussy now, so I got to chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we're on the back end of this podcast, so it, it, it yeah. typically happens. All right. Do you have a, a best mentor, favorite mentor, a couple good ones? I mean, my best mentor in life right now, I mean, I've had a lot of throughout the days, but from coaches at the academy, and I, it's hard to say one over the other. Um, but David, the guy that I'm working for now, I mean, he's a submariner. He was a sub guy. You want to talk about nerds and all this other stuff. This guy has literally taken me from not knowing what was going on to, you know, one of the top people in a billion dollar firm. So like Craig Schaefer and, and Kevin Campbell, you're talking about nerds? No, no, no. So I'm talking, yeah, 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 yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> So he was a submariner before, and, you know, I can't compare everyone together like that. And I know Kevin and Craig are great guys, but this guy has figured out a way to – he knew I had some rough edges. And you guys who know me, yeah, I got some rough edges. I'm not fucking perfect. But he figured out a way to empower me but check me at the same time. And it's a skill. I try to model it now because I have young people working under me right now. I'm trying to get going, but – I feel like I'm not doing you justice and giving you a good answer, but that relationship right there and how he was able to handle me. And I think I was lucky to be in that situation and a lot of success is luck was he was able to push me when I needed and check me when I needed to be checked. And you need to find that person as you look at your career is who's going to push you and check you. And the one thing I will say is never be sensitive. If you're not asking for the most blunt, honest feedback in the world, you're wasting your time. Because if someone can't tell you you're a dumbass or you're doing it wrong or you need to change something, then you're not growing. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and, and tie in here. Is uh, your best mentor, uh, one of my, my best mentors, um, had this and what you just said, the ability to handle me. Yes. Ultra aggressive. Want to get it done. What's the right way? Here's my plan. Here's three options. Um, I want to make this happen. That was my best mentor too. One of my best mentors. And it doesn't work for everyone, but for anyone who listens to this and is Navy football or military, we need people that are going to punch us in our face when we need to get punched in our face. Yes. If you don't have that mentor that's going to punch you in your face when you're doing something dumb or not exceeding to your potential, then you're wrong. What you just have is a hype person. And anyone can have a hype person. Boom. Blunt, honest feedback. Other part of that. Like, you got to have that. And you got to make you gotta sure. be able to take it. But make sure they know. Yes, but make sure they know that you have to ask them because no one, like, we're all direct. I'm sure everyone's been in the military. You know, our first thing is like, hey, let's make jokes on each other, but we're not going to take it easy. We're going to go straight for your heart. If you don't let this person know that they need to come directly at you, it's your fault for not getting the most out of them. Because for other civilian people or people that don't have our background, it's not the average person can't take direct feedback. True. And that's something I have to develop on myself is, hey, Nick, don't be too direct. Breaks. Not everyone can take yeah, it. I'm yeah, exactly. that too. I, I hear you. Yeah. So, <laughs> good conversation. Uh, learning a lot and the, uh, um, yeah, same page. Um, what's your, cur your current biggest opportunity, your current biggest struggle? I mean, and not to sound bad, like, I don't, I feel like I've been very blessed in this life in a lot of ways. I've tried to help where I can help or not help. I mean, if you look at a current struggle or opportunity in front of me, it's, you know, I, like I said before, I'm about to have a son. And it's, I want to make sure I was lucky to have a dad that was on me and kept me good. I just want to make sure that as I go through the phases in life, it was all about us, 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 Navy football, military, building your career. My only challenge is making sure that I'm able to give my son what I need to give him. Awesome. And regardless to what else happens around the scene, you know, I know people 
what the divorce rate is like 50 percent in this country you know yeah. there's i just saw yesterday kids are getting shot in schools like if I am not able to capitalize everything I've done and make sure that I'm raising a son and giving him every opportunity, then I feel like I failed at the bigger picture of life, which is what men are brought on this world. Raising kid, raising my son. That's my like, next big challenge in life. Perfect. I don't know where it got cut off, but that's what I was talking Somewhere about. Somewhere in there, I'll, I'll chop it up. And All right. It. So <clears throat> I think we, we kind of closed out the biggest opportunity with that. Um, yeah, give me a call back in 10 years and see how it goes. Yeah, I know, man. I, that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's the challenge. That journey is nuts. So I know you got a couple years on me, so, you know, I'm, I'm open for all advice and tips. <laughs> You're in for a ride and I like your uh, jersey in the background. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's all the pure corporate thing because it's every CEO. Oh, you play football for Navy? It's immediately they remember me for that. That's why that's back there. <laughs> nice. Love it. And Dallas 81 TO. Oh, right. yeah. Um, second to last question What's your price of admission? And this is the tough one because the price of admission is a lot of things. But as I thought about it since we first connected, honestly, it's perseverance. It's just shutting up and doing what you need to do. You can find an excuse to not do it, to to make it hard or excuses for yourself, but just shut up. There's no one I was on that football team with me that went to the academy with me that has been in the military that cannot just shut up, color between the lines, and do what you need to do. And if you find an excuse not to be able to do that, you need to really look at yourself in the mirror because there is nothing in this world that hard. Now, if you're trying to cure for cancer or do, you know, physics and shit, you know, maybe that's a little tougher. But for a day to day regular person, just get it done. It's that simple. And people that make it more complicated than that, you're looking for excuses to make it complicated. 100%. All right. What'd you learn today? First of all, I just learned that I'm I'm proud that Tony's out here doing this. Tony was the quiet guy. He's out here doing podcasts and communicate, man. I, I love what you're doing, dude. I, I know the response you get from it. I see all the people you bring on. I mean, this is just good stuff, dude. It's good stuff across the board. And there's a lot of people that I don't think can relate to the experiences that we have had and gone through. But I think it's something that this whole country could use a little dose of is just connecting to different people. I mean, where you grew up, where I grew up, the past we live, where we're at today. I mean, you know, Tony, if I saw you today and it's like nothing happened, it would never be an issue. People just need to get comfortable with each other. Yeah. It would fix a lot of this nonsense. And I, I just think I love what you're doing. I love the stories you're telling. I love the motivation it gives the other people who's been in our shoes or walked in our shoes. And maybe they'll listen to this down the road and just have some kind of motivation. This whole world is about encouraging people to go figure out what it is they need to do. And once you can do that, once you're a part of that, you're unstoppable. Awesome. What's your wife's name? Kaylee. Kaylee. And she's about to pop. Yeah, she might even be downstairs in labor right now, and I wouldn't know because I've had my AirPods on, so I hope I'm not getting into trouble. <laughs> well, let's get you out of trouble and get you off of this, but uh, tell her that, you know, we appreciate her. Um, everything that uh, Brotherhood does uh, has a big backbone of, you know, the supporters behind them and, you know, the spouse is number one. So um, appreciate your time today, Nick. And, uh, all right, Tony. Appreciate it. I appreciate everything you do, man. I love this. All right. Awesome.